Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come and worship you in the word. We ask you, the spirit, to guide and lead us as we study. Help us to see what you would want us to see from all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Samuel chapter 15, we're continuing the story of Absalom. Absalom is going to lead a rebellion against his father. And we see at this point in time, it's been seven years since the rape of his sister at this point in time. He had two years after the rape before he killed his brother Ammon. He went three years in exile. And then he was two years in Jerusalem without seeing David's face. So we're a minimum of seven years by the time chapter 15 begins from the rape. Uh, and so we, we're going to see his attitude toward his dad. And we find out that Absalom is not a nice guy even further. All right, He's murdered his brother. He's, he's uh, had some issues. And now he's going to rebel against his dad. And we see that the, as we get into this chapter, we're going to see that it is a well planned rebellion. So verse 1 in chapter 15. And it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom rose early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment that Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city are you? And he said, Your servant is of one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, your matter is are good and right, but there is no man dep depu deputed of the king to hear you. Absalom said, moreover, oh, that I were made a judge in the land, that every man which has any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. And it was so that when any man came nigh unto him to do him absence, that he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment, so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. All right, so here we look at Absalom's new plan. He's a great politician. He is a great flatterer. He knows how to win the hearts of the people. He probably is charismatic. We already talked about that. We know he's good looking. He's beautiful. That's what it said in the previous chapter. He has this long flowing hair that everybody is in love with. He, he is good looking. Uh, and he also knows how to flatter. And probably has some charisma on, him, on his side. So it says he came and he prepared him chariots and horses. And note that it's more than one chariot. He's not just preparing one chariot for himself and horses. And he takes 50 men. He is making himself look royal and regal. And he is. He's a, he's a, he's a prince. I mean, uh, one of the crown princes. He's one of the, one of the oldest sons. So he, he's... You know, he is up there. He's, he's, he's up, up there in the list of princes. And obviously, he's gotten a little bit of wealth since he's come back. And he's got a little prestige, and he's very showy. All right? He's not going anywhere without a huge entourage. And being, being walk, walked around by 50 men as bodyguards is a pretty big entourage. And I don't know where he got the men. Okay, I don't know if he's hired them on his own or where he's got it. He's got multiple chariots, multiple horses, and he gets up early and he is putting on a full show of how special he is. And so we see Absalom is also a man of great pride. All right, and we saw that in the last chapter. He was upset that, that uh, Joab did not come and see him. So what did he do? He did. He burned, 
Joab Seal and said he's going to come to see me one way or the other. You know, he's got a little bit of pride. You know, and his pride was such that he's going, well, I've been in exile now for three years. I should be forgiven by dad, and he should be inviting me back home by now and, and managed to get home, and then he wasn't seen by dad. This man is full of pride. He's full of stubbornness. He has an evil streak in him, as we saw when he killed his brother in revenge. Not, not in, it would have, and as we said over and over, if he had killed him five years earlier, right at, you know, two years earlier, right after the rape, it could have been justifiable. You know, you're just upset that your sister was raped, and we understand you killing your brother. Two years later is not justifiable. Uh, you've had plenty of time to get over, get over it. You're not, you're not doing it in the heat of the passion. You're doing it premeditated at that point in time. And we know it was premeditated because he invited his brother on purpose away from Jerusalem to be able to kill him. So we know it was premeditated. It wasn't in the heat of passion. So we know the kind of man Absalom is even before all of this starts. And it says, Absalom stood by the way of the gate. And so it was that when any man came with a controversy or a legal case to see the king, Absalom called unto him. Which gate he's talking about? We're not absolutely sure which gate. Is it the gate to the palace because they were on their way to be seen by the king, which, is, which would make a lot of sense? Or is it the gate to the city where judgments were also made? How do we know that they were made? Remember back in the story of Ruth chapter 4, Boaz went to the gate, grabbed four, 10 men of the town, and said, I'm going to present this case. You know, we're going to present this case, we're going to, and we need you guys to be witnesses. So which gate? We don't fully know. It is the gate. It doesn't say whether it was the gate of the city or the gate of the palace. I kind of think it was the gate to the palace because he knows that these guys are going in to hear the king go see the king and it seems to be you know now it is possible it was the gate of the you know the gate of the city but somehow he knew that they were going to you know there was some offering or something they brought with David I kind of tend to believe it's at the palace and going oh these guys these are peasants going into the palace we know that they're they're there to present their case uh, because remember there are times when you would be able to go to the palace and present your case and even through the medieval ages, the place in the palace and the, that you'd be able to go to was the throne room. And the throne room was always right up front. It was one of the first rooms you walked into in the palace. And people, even the commoners, had access to the throne room so they could present their cases. So I tend to believe that the gate he's standing outside of is the gate to the palace. All right? I can't prove that, and it's not that big a deal. But these guys start coming in, and he goes, hey, come over here and talk to me. You know, where are you from? You know, and they kind of just, you know, they would tell him what tribe they're from, what city they were coming from. And he really was the politician, as was pointed out. Oh, your matter is a really good matter. It, should, it really deserves to be heard. Too bad the king hasn't got time for you. You know, too bad he hasn't appointed other judges. He's gonna, he doesn't care about your time. He's going to make you stand all day in the throne room to make your presentation to him. And this is kind of what, if you think back, what happened with Moses. His father-in-law watched him one day, and the people stood from morning to evening, waiting their turn to present their case to Moses. And apparently, David's been doing the same type of thing. Absalom's taking advantage of him. You know, hey, it's really too bad that my father doesn't really care about you. He's going to make you stand all day, and hopefully you get to present your case to him by the end of the day. 
Now, I wish that I was your judge, you know, I was a judge, I'd give you justice. Hearing tickling the ears, you know, you, you want justice? I'd, if, I, if I was judge, I'd give you the justice. You know, by the way, here you are talking to me. You're not, you might not get to talk to my dad in, inside there. He's laying the groundwork that he cares for the people and that David doesn't care for them. Now, David cares for him, otherwise he wouldn't be holding court. But David is making a, seeming to make a mistake that he hasn't allocated other judges to listen to the light cases. And again, remember, we go back to the book of uh, Exodus and, and Moses' father-in-law said, hey, Moses, you're doing a terrible thing. You know, go appoint other judges. Appoint other judges to hear the little cases. You take the big cases, the things that are too big for them to handle. David apparently hasn't uh, allocated other judges. Could be, but by the token of, you know, he's making a sound to, to it that, you know, there's no other judge out there. And if they're visiting David, it seems to be, tr you know, truth. Most lies have to have a bit of truth in them to be sounding. Because if it was just, you know, come to me, I'd give you justice. My father doesn't really care. And they go, hey, everybody that goes see David is going to come out with a, with, a, with a case. And unfortunately, many kings have had this been their case. They, everybody had to come to them, which meant they traveled days to get there, and they might have to go see him three or four days before they finally got their audience with the king. So this, this has a ring of truth to it, all right? You know, hey, my father hasn't got anybody else judging. You know, these little things, you know, yours, yours is really a simple one. I, if I was judge, I'd be, giving you, I'd be giving you satisfaction. I'd give you justice. You wouldn't have to come all the way to, to David's, David's throne. Uh, and I'm, you're right, it, he could be completely lying to them. It just it doesn't make sense that it would ring, ring true to them and win their hearts if it was a complete lie. You know, they're probably going, yeah, I'm going to have to spend all day, you know, go to traffic court even in America, you know, and you spend the whole day, especially if your name is W like mine, you know, it's, uh, you get to watch everybody because they do it in alphabetical order. It's not even in the order that the tickets are written. It's, we're going to start at A and go to W, but heaven help you if you're not there when they call your name. Uh, this is a picture I have here. And, you know, and it could be, you're right, it could be a lie, but it doesn't sound like a lie. Okay, because everybody goes, well, no, you know, I know, I know your dad, you know, we'll get in there, I may have to wait an hour or two, but I'm gonna, he's gonna hear my case, you know, what are you talking, you know, if you don't have a truthful statement, people go, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. So I think it probably is true. David, David has not appointed a bunch of judges to help him. Uh, and, and Absalom is a flatterer. You know, yeah, you've got a really good case. I, I wish I was a judge. I'd, I'd, give you, I'd give you your justice. And then they go in. And they don't get heard that day or they don't get the justice that, they, that Absalom said they deserve. You know, which just reinforces what he's been saying. You know, well, this is the third day in a row I've gone in to see the king and wait my turn. So I think, this is, I think it really is true that he's saying that there's, not, there's nobody out there. And it, you're right, it's possible, it, I mean, I don't know enough about it, but it just brings, if it, if it wasn't true, it wouldn't be winning the people's hearts. You know, if I was your judge, I'd be good, and then they go in and, and, and uh, either get denied or don't get seen that day. And then, well, man, that Absalom, that Prince Absalom, it, you know, I, wish, I, wish he, I wish he was judge. Yeah, he's not turning away. He's not turning them away, he's just talking to them on their way in. Uh, and if I were made judge, I'd, I'd make sure that you got justice. You know, 
I don't, you know, I didn't hear all of your case. I didn't hear your witnesses against you or witnesses for you, but I'd, I'd have given you, I'd have given what you wanted. Well, he's, he's a flatterer. He is a politician saying what people want to hear. And, you know, we think about this, the days of our politicians have not changed. You know, they, they have not changed ever since, you know, you, you tell people what they want to hear and you get them on your side, you flatter them. How do people make most of their sales? They flatter people and make them feel like they're the most important thing. They started, it's been going on forever. <laughs> it's been going on forever. And it said, and, and then in verse five, we see it even, and so it was that when any man came nigh to him to do obscience, to bow down to him, he caught him up and kissed their hand and honored them. Okay, he's like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not worried of this. You know, you're, you're my equal. I'll kiss your hand. And, you, you, and that was a sign of respect and honor. So he's saying, I'm the prince, but I'm going to honor you. He is a slime ball. <laughs> you know, he's not humble at all. <laughs> he's pretending to be humble. So we see here a man who is purposely trying to undermine his father. And this is the strange thing. It's not like I'm trying to undermine some stranger. He's out to undermine his own father. Well, it, it always has. It always has. And in this case, in many ways, David deserves it. And at least in Absalom's mind, you know, and probably in reality, David did not punish Ammon for raping, raping his sister. Let him get away with it. He didn't, David didn't even punish Absalom, really, for the murder of Ammon. Then when he came back, he still rejected him for two years. So Absalom's had plenty of time to get a bitter heart toward David. So not, I'm not saying it's justified in reality, but in Absalom's mind, this is totally justified. You know, destroying my dad is totally justified because he does not love me. He doesn't care for me. He is a lousy king. He doesn't, he doesn't protect people. Uh, and in Absalom's mind is, I'm going to make a better king than my dad ever would. And, you know, this is, and this, I've said this over and over, just because the leader does not deserve the submission does not give us the right to come against them, but it does, in our mind, start playing on us. If, if only, if only, I, you know, I could make a better person than this, you know, this, 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 this bozo who can't, can't do it, and this is where Absalom is, all right? And we're going to find out he's being egged on by somebody else. Okay. Uh, and uh, it says, In this manner did Absalom to all of Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the heart of the people. He flattered them so fully that he stole their heart. And, you know, this is, we see this especially in America where we have elections all the time, it seems like. But we're told what we want to hear. They tell people what they want to hear and, and kiss all the babies and say all the right words and, and then do what they want when they get elected. And I'm sure Absalom was going to do the same thing. You know, I'm, I'm going to do, once, when, once you've made me king, I'm going to do what I want, but I'm going to make you think that I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread and I'm going to be much better than my father. And, you know, he's laying up, he's laying on the charm. Good looking, flatterer, charismatic, you know, vendetta against his dad and trying to take his dad down. Now, I wonder where David is during all of this. Okay? I cannot believe that David is totally unaware. Now, having said that, I do realize one thing. David was a warrior. He's a general. He is not a great politician. 
He won the heart of the people through his military victories. And he could be totally blind to what's going on. I don't think, I, from what I see of David, he was not the, the uh, politician. You know, he's the type that if you get crossed him, he's ready to draw swords with you. He's not ready to out-talk you and, out, and out-maneuver you on the, on the political field. Absalom may not be able to take his dad physically, but he is definitely able to take him on the political field. All right? And so we see this whole battle coming on. And verse 7. And it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said unto the king, I pray you, let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed unto the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow while I abode in Gersher in Syria, saying, If the Lord shall bring me again to, indeed to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. This is a verse that people look at and say, this makes no sense, and I agree with it in one side. It says, it came to pass after 40 years. Most scholars believe that 40 years should be four years, that a scribe put an extra zero somewhere in the, in the writing. Josephus believes that it was four, and from Jesus' day, believed that it should have been four years. Many of the ancient scholars and rabbis believe, say that it was four years. I kind of tend to believe that it probably was four years and it's something that has crept in. Uh, they added an extra little mark to put a zero in front of it. If it's not, I'm not sure what they're counting 40 years from. David only reigns in Jerusalem for 40, uh, in, in Israel for 40 years. So it's not from the time of David's reign because he would be an old man when this is happening and it is not, he's not, yes, he's older, but he's not a decrepit old man when Absalom responds to him. Is it possible that it's 40 years from the day David was anointed king? That's a possibility because we know that he's running around for, for 10 to 20 years and he could be 20 years into his kingdom. So it is possible that it is 40 years from the day David was anointed king. Uh, I'm not, I don't have a definitive answer for that. No, because Absalom was born in Hebron which means that David was king in Hebron at that time, which would have been, we'd have to be at the end of David's reign. That is an answer some people, was it when he, when he was born and they go, no, because then, again, we're at, David's, we're at the end of David's reign. Uh, and we know that he's somewhere in his 20s or 30s at this point. So uh, it's not, so we don't know. If it is really 40, it's most likely when David was anointed king. 40 years from the day David was anointed king. All right, which would put us right about the right timing. Uh, because if it's 40 years into David's reign, he only reigned 40 years. And we know he's got other problems by the time he, by the time he gives over the throne to, to Solomon. All right? And we're going to see when he run, runs, he's, he's walking and he's encouraging people. He has one old guy who says, go back. You know, you're, you'd only slow me down. Now when, and David, David's men haven't told him, you're not going to war yet. Uh, because there comes a time when David is old and slow and he's saved by his, by his brother and they say, no, David, you're not going to war anymore. We're not going to lose you. you know, we're not going to lose you because you're too slow and old to, to fight. And they were a little nicer and more, more politically correct on that. But basically, they're saying, David, you're old and slow. Stay home. Uh, we're not having you killed because you're too slow to fight. So we, we know it's not at the very end of his, of his reign. So it is either a misprint that a scribe somehow let happen. Uh, and 
because Josephus is looking at an earlier material because Josephus wrote about the time of Christ and he says it was four years. Most of the ancient rabbis say that it was four years. So I'm going to believe that it's probably four years. So there, if that's true, he has been planning this rebellion for four years. Talking to people, playing the politician, he's a very patient man. And we know he's patient. He waited for Ammon for two years before he killed him. And now he's pushing four years with buttering people up, which is now 11 years. If it's four years, it's 11 years since the rape of his sister. And I'm sure he had some deep bitterness toward dad for not judging Ammon 11 years before that. This is a man that's holding on to anger and bitterness. And the sad thing about it is when you hold on to unforgiveness, this is the kind of stuff that happens. You get bitter, you get angry, you plan, you plan bad things for other people. And this is what's going on with Absalom. He's been planning a long time this rebellion. And we're going to find out that his helper has been planning this rebellion a lot longer than that. All right? So he's, he goes to King David, and this sounds very familiar to when he goes to him about Ammon. Hey, Father, I'm having this big party out there. You know, my sheep have been sheared. We're going to have the, the shearing party, and I'd like you to come. No, you don't come. Okay, at least send Ammon. Here it comes in. Hey, Dad, I've got, I made a vow while I was at Grandpa's place, and I need to go fulfill it. And what that means is he had an offering to make. Now, why he can't fulfill the offering in Jerusalem, where the tabernacle is, and where the temple has been set, uh, the tabernacle has been set up, I don't know. That, again, should be a, a kind of a warning to David. Well, why are you leaving? Why are you going to fulfill your vow where the tabernacle is not? And yet, David doesn't, David seems to be a really dense person sometimes. You know, okay, son, go ahead and do what you want. Uh, and it says, I made, a, I made a vow and I've got to go keep it. Uh, and then I, that I will, then I will serve the Lord. Yeah. I'm not going to serve the Lord, David, until I, I get rid of you. But then as soon as I get rid of you, I'll serve, I'll serve the Lord. Um, no, he doesn't say it quite that way. And the king said, go. Go and go back to Hebron. Just, just 20 or 30 miles away, just a little ways away. It's not really that far. And he says, you know, go, go ahead and make your offering in Hebron. And, you know, I wonder about David sometime. <laughs> uh, David wasn't a good father. He wasn't a great politician. Didn't seem to see things coming his way. And yet God made him king because he was a man after God's heart. Which is good news for us. When we're dense, stupid, and, and, and can't see things coming, God can still use us. Because uh, he used David. And he protected David. And he's going to protect David in all of this that's going on. And it's good news for us that David is protected. God protects him in spite of how he doesn't see things coming. He's protected him all through the years that Saul was chasing him. He's protecting him through Absalom's rebellion. He's, re he's protected him against jo Joab and the plans that Joab has for him. Uh, you know, God protects. And that's a good thing. If we just let God be our protector, he protects us. Just as he's done with David, just as he's going to do with Solomon, just as he's done with all of his servants throughout time, he protects in spite of our stupidity, in spite of our messing things up. And this is the good news we see in this story. 
Verse 10. But Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And with, and with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem that were called, and they went in their simplicity, and they knew not anything. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Giblianite, David's counselor, from the city even to Giloth. And when he offered sacrifice and the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continuously with Absalom. All right. Absalom has a plan. He knows that when he leaves, he's going to have the trumpets blown all through Israel. And the people are to cry out, Absalom reigns in Hebron. Or basically, long live the new king. David's not dead, and the people are crying out, long live the king. And this is a new king, king. It's not you that we're talking about. And it says that Absalom left with 200 men out of Jerusalem, so he's leaving with an army. This army, though, it says very clearly, they went out in simplicity or integrity. Okay, They did not know that Absalom was going to rebel. And that's what it says in here. They went out in their simplicity, and they knew not anything. Not that they were stupid people, but they didn't know what they were going into. They were just honoring the new, you know, the prince. And again, it shows us how strong he's become. Somehow he convinced his dad to let 200 men march with him. You know, and they were probably assigned, by the sound of it, they were assigned by David, or at least Joab. All right, and so they were sent out to go with him. And these men were not on Absalom's side, and it's very clear. He's not marching with an army of treasonous soldiers. Now, I would have expected them to be hand-picked treason soldiers, so that he have his built-in army, but that's not what this scripture says. And then Absalom sends for Ahithophel. Now, if you know anything about Ahithophel, Ahithophel is David's counselor. He is a very wise man. He is the E.F. Hudden of his day. When he speaks, everybody listens. He's that wise. He's that smart. He's that, that you, know, you know, wise. He also just happens to be the grandfather of Bathsheba. He's been David's counselor and probably brooding over what David has done to his daughter knowing that his daughter technically is an adulteress who deserves to be punished with death and a murderer of his son-in-law or grandson-in-law, which he probably liked because he's going against David with Absalom. Probably has had some input. It doesn't say it clearly, but has probably had some input into Absalom's stealing of the heart of the people. Absalom, you're angry with your father. I'm angry with your father. Let's cause a revolt, and here's how you're going to do it. This, is, this has Ahithophel's fingerprints all over it. Very wise man, very, you know, okay, I've got a charismatic son of David. Everybody likes him. He's, he's, he's good looking. The people are going to fall for him. Let me tell him how to raise this. And he goes right over to Absalom. Right over to Absalom. So, most people do believe, and it's not really clear, but most people do believe that he has had a, hot, a sore spot for David 
since this whole adultery with his granddaughter went in and the murder of his son-in-law or grandson-in-law. So he has had a place where he's angry at David and goes over to Absalom's side. David's chief counselor, the one that he counts on, the one that is in the know on everything that David has got planning going on, goes over to the enemy's side. What a, what a bone on for Absalom's side to have this, this insight. There's nothing that Ahithophel has not had his hands in that goes on in the court. He knows all the courtiers. He knows the government. He knows how to make it work. This is, you know, getting the right-hand advisor to David on his side. What a, what a mess David is in for. And he calls him over, and, David, and Ahithophel comes right over. And it says, the conspiracy, literally the treason, was strong for the people had increased continually on Absalom's side. And this really goes to show us Absalom is playing the politician. He has won the heart of the people. David has never, outside of battle, David has never won their heart. And a, and a general does not stay in power long if he doesn't know how to be the politician. And this has been seen over the years in dictators. Dictators take the crown, they take the, the reins, they do the coup, they win by military might, the people are on their side because they're happy, but they really don't know how to play the politician. David has not known how to play the politician. Absalom's won their hearts. People remember, oh yeah, King David, he beat Goliath, he, he survived Saul, he's been victorious, he's, he's made us this great kingdom, but it doesn't seem like he cares about us. He's a great leader, he's a great military leader, but he doesn't seem to care about us. This Absalom fellow, wow, he really cares about us. And he seems to forget his <laughs> Yeah, and he, I'm sure he's probably reminded people. You know, you know he, didn't, he, didn't protect, he didn't protect the honor of my, do- my sister, and he didn't judge my brother for that, and you know, he's been really mean to me, and look at all the things he's been mean to you, and he hasn't given you all the stuff you want. You want a chicken in every pot and a and a and a and a dung, uh, oxen to plow you know plow your fields. I'm going to give you all of that stuff. This is the kind of man he is. You know, chicken in every pot. Uh, you know, free field. You know, I'm going to bring justice. He didn't bring justice to my when my sister was raped. You know, and, and he hasn't done this. And he's you know in, emphasizing all the bad. And by the way, you know he was been chased around by Saul for 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 20 years. There must have been something wrong with my dad for 20 years. You know, without saying that there was, you know, and I'm not saying he did that, but you could picture him doing that. You know, hey, you know, why why didn't you guys bring him king for 20 years while Saul was chasing him? You know, what what why didn't you trust him then? You know, so he is stirring the pot. You know, and and a chicken in every pot, a an ox in every house. You know, uh, you know, lower taxes, whatever whatever it is that they want to hear, he's saying it. He's won their heart, and Ahithophel comes to his side. You know, and that's going to make the people wonder, Ahithophel? David's chief counselor is on Absalom's side? That is going to strengthen his conspiracy, his treason. You know, so we see a lot going on here and a lot of planning going into this. And, and four years of planning going into this and, and speaking the right words and saying the right things. And many times dictators have done just that. Hitler came to power in Germany as overwhelmingly winning the election to be made chancellor of, of Germany because of his 
uh, charisma and his promises and I am going to make Germany a better place and I've got a plan to get out from under the thumb of all of Europe and everybody loved him. Everybody loved him for many, many years and even loved him after he declared himself dictator or de Fuhrer, the father. You know, uh, and they still loved him for a long time. You know, this is Absalom. You know, he's playing into that same spirit. Or Hitler was more like Absalom, you know, because Absalom was first. But, and Absalom's not even the first because there's other people that have done this even before. So we see this coup going on. In verse 13, And there came a messenger unto David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said unto all of the servants that were with him in Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring evil upon us and smite the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servant said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king shall appoint. And the king went forth and all his household after him. And the king left ten women which were concubines to keep the house. And the king went forth and all the people after him that ter and tarried in a place that was far off. And his servants passed on beside him and all the Chariites and the Belaites and the Gittites, 600 men which came after him from, from Gath passed on before, before the king. So David decides instead of staying and fighting his own son, he was going to go ahead and run. This makes me wonder, David is not the type to run, so God had to have put it on his heart to run. And, his, what, and we look at what his concern was. Number one, let's get away so we're not trapped in Jerusalem. Because he knew that if the whole of Israel was coming in, they would just surround Jerusalem and starve them out, at the very least starve them out. Right? And he doesn't really want to fight his son. He still loves his son. And we saw that when his son finally, when he broke down after, after seven years of being in ex exile, he broke down and, loved, you know, and cried with his son. He loves his son. He's willing to leave. And his other thing that he was, that he said, not just that they would be in there, but I don't want the city to be attacked. He's, David has a heart for his people and said, if I'm going to be chased, I'll be chased. I'll let Absalom chase me. I will leave the city. I'm not going to be caught in the city. I'm not going to make this, the city of Jerusalem pay for this rebellion. He is trusting God in, 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 in when it comes down to it. God, I'm going to put my trust in you. I ran from Saul. Uh, you protected me. I'm now going to run from Absalom and let you be my comforter, my protector. And it says that the king's servant said to him, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever you want. The country is split. He has a lot of servants in the castle that are on his side, and he still has his, as we see, he still has his 600 men that he had in Gath. He has a built-in army. Now, I don't know if these guys were promoted and made, made into the, the bodyguard of David or not, but they're still on his side. And those are a good group of people to have on your side. They, they have been warriors for a long time. The only problem with them, they're getting old. Okay, this is the old guard. So when they get ready to fight, they're going to have to fight younger guys. And we don't know how old they are, but they, they have been in Jerusalem now for about 20 years. And they weren't young, young chickens when they were there. So these guys are getting to be 40, 50 years old. But they're still warriors. And they're still deadly. And it says, he left 10 women that were concubines to keep house. This is an important foreshadowing of what's going to happen later on when Absalom takes the city. All right? 
So David takes his wives, he takes most of his family, he doesn't take, he takes his concubines except for 10, and many of the servants go with him. And he leaves Jerusalem to go outside of Jerusalem and camp. Probably out to En Gedi, down to the camps and the hills and the, and, the, and the caves that he was in before when he was running from Saul. He knows that area, his people know that area. And again, he's not looking to hide very hard. You don't take a huge army with you to hide very hard, but he's just going to go, I'm going to go someplace that's defensible and see what Absalom's going to do. And it says specifically he took his 600 men. He took his, his, his men that he knows he can trust. He trusted them all the days of Saul. He knows that they're warriors. They're the top fighters in his army. So he takes the best of the best with him, and they go willingly with him. Verse 19, then said the king to Ittial the Gittite, wherefore go you also with us. Return to your place and abide with the king, for you are, for you are strong, are a stranger and an exile. Whereas you came but yesterday, should I this day make you go up and down and seeing that I go hither, I may return you and take back your brother, mercy and truth be with you. And it's I answered to the king and said, as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, surely in what place my lord the king shall be, where, whether in death or with life, even there shall I be your servant. And David said to Ittile, go and pass over. And Ittile the Gittite passed over, and all of his men and all the little ones went with him. And all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people passed over. And the king himself passed over the brook of Kitron, and all the people passed over toward the way of the wilderness. So this stranger, somebody who was new to David, says, I'm going to go with you. David encourages him to go back. And he says, no, you know, I am your servant. I am going with you. And David allows him to go. This has overtones of the story of Ruth again. Yeah. You know, hey, Ruth, and, Ruth and, your, and your daughter that I don't remember her name, uh, go back. You know, go back to your families. I'm going back to my country where you're not even going to be welcome. You're Moabitist. You're not going to be welcome in Jerusalem. Uh, you're not going to be welcome in Israel or Bethlehem at that time. You know, go back. And his answer is basically the same as Ruth. You know, where you go, I'm going to go. You're, you know, your God's going to be my God. Now, he doesn't say it as fluently, but he says, I'm going to, you're my king. I am your servant. I am going to follow you. Okay? It's not as eloquent as Ruth, but it does make me think back to Ruth. You know, hey, you're my king. I'm going to follow you. I've chosen to follow you. I may be a stranger, but I and my family are following you, David. We're not giving up. And we're not going back. And David says, okay, come on. <laughs> you know, I'm going to allow you to come. You, know, you have no reason. And basically saying, you just got into, my, you got into my service. You have no reason to run. Absalom's not going to kill you. Now these other, my 600 men, they, they, they may try to kill, you know, Absalom may try to kill them. Or, you know, my, my real strong servants that are on my side, Absalom may at the very least exile them or kill them. I want them with me. But you, Ital, you know, it's no big deal. Go back. And he says, no, I'm not. I'm going to follow you. And we see this. David has a large following that are still on his side. Even though he's not the politician, he is king, and there are those that are saying, uh, we are submitted to your kingship, David. God hasn't taken you out. We're not switching sides. And we're going to see the rest of the people are, you know, unfortunately, even in that day, people tended to be sheep. People follow the wave of popularity. And this happens even in our day. 
There are people that won't take a stand if it's not popular. And there are people that, on both sides that will take a stand no matter what, but there's a very large group in the center that can be swayed by popular opinion, and it's always been that way. Oh, the trumpet's sounding. Uh, Absalom's now king. Okay, we'll take king. David's not dead yet? Ah, oh, well, everybody's for David. We'll take David. And this is one of the things that is very important to understand. Just because a majority of people say something is okay does not mean it's right. That is one of the problems with a democracy. Democracy is mob rule. Whoever gets the most votes, whoever's most charismatic and gets the most votes makes things happen. And that is not biblical. Mob rule is not biblical. God says this is what is to be done. This is one of the problems that we have in churches. There's, there's all kinds of different things, you know, and most Baptist churches are congregational-led, which means sometimes they go the wrong way. Because the majority of the church says, I want to go to something that's not godly, and all of a sudden the church is doing something that's not godly. I'm glad we're not there. But we do have a, you know, a voting system and everything, and that can lead to very dangerous places. God says that the pastor's the head of the church. Now, I'm not going to fight that argument. We're in a church that is, is congregational-led, you know, led, and I'm not going to fight, fight, fight it. But it also says, by the same token, I know it's not scriptural. It is not the way a church is supposed to be run. And here we see, Absalom's got the majority on his side. He's saying the right things. He's doing the right things. He's got them on his side. And there's always a group that will just gravitate to the one that's most charismatic, the one that says the right things. This is where we're at. And a matter of fact, if you read the scriptures carefully, you will find that most of the time, if not all the time, the majority is wrong. All right? What happened before the flood? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and God judged them. All through the book of Judges, and the people did what was right in their own eyes and, and worshipped idols. The majority was wrong. Even on the exile, when Moses is leading from, how many times did he have trouble with the majority? Not wanting to do things God's way. They want to go, hey, Aaron, uh, we don't know what happened to Moses. Make us, a, make us an idol that led us out of Egypt. And, Israel, and Aaron did not have enough backbone to say, no, we're going to follow God. He made him an idol. All through scriptures, we see the majority going the wrong way. On the incidents where Jesus said, this is, you know, you must eat of my blood and eat of, you know, and, and uh, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And it says many that day left him. They couldn't handle what he said because it was too hard. And then Jesus turned to the disciples, are you guys going to leave me too? And that was when Peter was really on his good day. You know, who else are we going to go to? You have the words of life. You know, down, back down to just his disciples. He lost hundreds of people because he spoke something that they considered too hard. We go through scripture over and over again, we see the majority being wrong. And we want to be on God's side. We need to know what he says on his word and take the stand of what is word. Whether it's minority or majority, we need to be willing to say, God, this is what you say. I'm going to stand on it. I am not going to be swayed by the popular opinion. I'm not going to reject because of it's not popular. And that may put us in a bad place. It may put us in prison. It may put us in jail. It may put us on at least people being angry at us. But we need to say, God, this is what you say. I'm going to stand on it. David's not ready to go to war yet, but he's ready to say, I'm going to see what God's going to do. 
and well, and he's going to be very forgiven. When he does come back, he doesn't execute all the people that rebelled against him. He'd have to re-execute most of his kingdom, but he doesn't go back and execute them because I think deep down in David's heart, he understands that people are swayed by words. And he's probably sad that they weren't swayed by the right words, but he understands that people are swayed by words. And he's going to see this whole thing going. Verse 24. And lo, Zadok also and all the Levites which were with him, bearing the ark of the covenant of God, and they set down the ark of God. And Abathar went up until all the people had done passing out of the city. And the king said to Zadok, and the king said to Zadok, carry back the ark of God to the city. If I shall find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me again and show me both it and his habitation. But if he should thus say, I have no delight in you, behold, here I am, let him do to me as seems good to him. And the king said unto the Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Return to the king in peace, and your two sons with you, Ahimazah your son, and Jonathan your son of Ahimazah, and I will tarry in the plain in the wilderness until there come word from you to certify me. And Zadok, therefore, and Ahithophel carried the ark of the God back again to Jerusalem, and they tarried there. So the religious group comes and says, David, we support you. You're, you're our king. You're God's man. The high priest, Zadok, brings the ark of the covenant to David. Now David very wisely says, go back. Can you imagine being on the, on the run with the Ark of the Covenant with you wherever you go? Uh, that is not going to make the Israelites happy. And David says, hey, if it's God's will that I die, I'm ready to die. If God brings me back in victory, I want the, I want the Ark where it belongs, in the tabernacle, not following me all over the wilderness. God's house is here. Leave it there. David is very much knowing, and David has peace. God, you're bringing judgment on me. If I'm to come back, I'm to come back. If I'm not to come back, I don't want the Ark of the Covenant following me wherever I go. Also, on one side, David probably understands this is my fault. Because remember, what did Nathan tell him? The sword shall not depart from your house. Absalom's killed his brother Ammon. The rape of Tamar has happened. He's now seeing the sword coming on him, and he's probably saying, God, I deserve this. You didn't tell me I was going to lose my, lose my kingdom, so I, I expect to come back. But God, if this is the final straw and I'm to die because of my sin, I'm ready to die. I'm not going to split the nation up and have a civil war out of this. And so he's saying to Zadok, go back. Go back. I'm not splitting, I'm not splitting the country over religion as well as my son rebelling against me. Go back and I will follow God. And if God wants me back, he'll bring me back. If he doesn't, I won't be back. This is a great attitude. This is David saying, if this is God's will, I'm willing to do whatever God's will is. All right? And so he says, go back to the temple or the tabernacle at this time. I do not want you wandering with me. And so he sends him back. And he says, you know, hey, Zadok, you're, you're a seer. You're, you are a prophet. When you know that it's safe, you will call me back. And that's what it says. 
And when I get word to you to certify, when you, I've made known to me that it is safe to come back, I will come back, and I'm not coming back until I hear that it's safe to come back. I am not going to split Jerusalem. I'm not going to split the nation up. Absalom has their heart. I'm willing to let this go for now. He has the same heart toward Absalom as he had toward Saul. Now, now, Absalom hasn't been anointed king, so he could have easily said, I'm going to come back and I'm going to beat, I'm going to beat the pulp out of Absalom and I'm going to go to war. I've got my 600 men. We'll, we would win. But he also understands the danger of that attitude. If he comes to fight Absalom, he splits the nation up because the nation is going to take sides. And he doesn't want that. He wants a unified nation, so he's willing to say, I am going to run and see what God is going to do. I've got, my, I've got my guard. I'm not, wor- I'm, not, I'm not worried about dying. I'm not worried about suffering. I've got my royal guard. I'm sad that, a, that Ahithophel has gone over to the other side. He's a counselor. He knows all my strongholds. He knows everything going on. I'm not happy that he did that. But he says, I'm not going to split the nation up. I'm just taking my family out, and we're going to go on the run says, I've been on the run for 20 years. I can do it again. It's been a while since he's been on the run for 20 years. But, you know, but he says, I'm ready to go out and go defend, you know, just defend myself. Then verse 30, And David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olivet and went and wept as he went, and his head was covered, and he went barefoot, and all the people that were with him covered every man his head, and they went up weeping as they went. And one of David... One told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O oh Lord, I pray you, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Now, this is quite an interesting prayer. David is climbing out of Jerusalem, and the, the Mount of Olivet, or the Mount of Olives, is just to the east of Jerusalem. He's barely out of there. He's climbing the Mount of Olives. And remember, this is where Jesus spent a lot of his last week. He kept going to the Mount of Olives, coming back into Jerusalem, going out into the Mount of Olives. So this is less than a day. It's just an hour, hour and a half away. And he's climbing up there. He's weeping. And then he really gets the bad news. You know, verse 31, Ahithophel, your, your trusted counselor, is rebelling against you with Absalom. And David's prayer is, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. What a prayer, because Ahithophel is a very wise counselor. And David is now, this, this has to be one of the things that breaks David's heart. My trusted counselor, my counselor who gives good advice is against me. Now, I don't know if it dawns on him that, you know, maybe this is from Bathsheba, you know, his affair with Bathsheba. I really do think it is because of the, the affair he had with Bathsheba that Ahithophel has turned against him. Maybe he's been, been hoodwinked by Absalom, but this is an advisor. This is a strong advisor. I think it's, this has been in his plan for a long time. How can I get David for what he's done to my, to my, to my uh, granddaughter and to her, to her husband? And he gets in and he says, his prayer is, God, turn this good advisor's advice to foolishness. This is a big prayer. This is a huge prayer. And David is needing God on his side. And I think this is a true prayer for David. David's saying, God, if, if, if uh, Ahithophel's advice is not turned into foolishness, I'm, everything is over. 
Ahithophel is, got, is going to be able to get him good advice. And David has some, some concern at this point because his trusted number one advisor is now against him. And we've got to remember, what does it mean to be his advisor? It means he knows everything that David has been concerned about for the last couple years. All the plans he has for defenses, all the plans he has for military leaders, all the plans he has for, for public works, all the plans he has for judgments. Ahithophel is in the know. This is not the good, a good person. It's bad enough that his son has rebelled against him, but his son is not in the know. His son has been for years not being able to see his face and just recently been able to see his face. So his son has not been involved in all of these things that, that's been going on. Verse 32, And it came to pass that when David was come to the top of the Mount, Mount of Olives, that there where he worshipped God, behold, there came to him an archite, uh, came, Hushai the archite came to meet him with his clothes rent and earth upon his head. Unto whom David said, If you pass on with me, you shall be a burden unto me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have served your father, father's servant, as I have been your father's servant, whereunto I will now also be your servant, then you may, for me, defeat the counsel of Ahithophel. And have, and have you not there with you Zadok? and Abithar the priest. Therefore it shall be that, that what things soever you shall hear from the king's house, you shall tell to Zadok and Abithar the priest. And behold, they have there with them two sons, Ahimeazah and Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abithar's son. And by them you shall send unto me everything that you can hear. So Hushai, David's friend, came to the city, and, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. Now, we don't, you don't know who, uh, who Hushai is, but Hushai is David's second leading counselor. All right? So he is an older man. And he comes to David saying, I'm running with you because I'm on your side. And David looks at him and says, you know, hey, Hushai, if you come with me, you're going to slow me down. But I have a job that you can do. I have a really good job for you to do, Hushai. And he says, go back to Jerusalem and now you're going to be my spy. You're going to go in there. You're going to tell Absalom that you're, you're, you're one of his servants. You, you know, Absalom's going to think he has my number one counselor in, in, in uh, Ahithophel, and now my number two counselor is going to go, judge, you know, go join his side. He's, we're going to find out if Absalom's not too sure about, about, about him, but he's going to listen to him. He's going to take advice from him. So David's number two counselor and number one counselor are on, apparently on Absalom's side. But what does he tell Absalom? Uh, hey, the priests are on my side. They went back. They're my, they're, they're my people. Anything you hear, go tell them, and they will send their sons to come tell me. So David has now has ears in the palace, eyes and ears in the palace. David is finally playing the politician a little bit, or good general. You're my spy. I want to know what the enemy is doing. And so he's going, okay, if, you're, if, if, if Absalom marches out here, I'm going to hear about it and I can go someplace else. He's in better shape now than when he was running for Saul because he didn't have somebody inside the palace giving him inside information. This one, he is going to know everything that's going on. He's going to know the advice of Ahithophel. 
He's going to know the military movings of his son. He's going to know all that's going on and be able to respond to it and never have to fight his son because he's going to get the inside scoop. And that's what he tells him. You know, you're going to be my ears. Anything you hear, go to Zadok. And it's easy for him to go to Zadok because Zadok's the high priest. He can go worship and make a point of talking to the high priest and the high priest will send his sons out to go see David. This is quite a plan. This is one of the few, few things that David has done as a politician that really stands out. You be my spy. I want to know. And I'm, I'm trusting that you are going to be able to turn Ahithophel's advice into foolishness. That's more like military here. This is more military. This isn't politician. This is, I need, I need a spy in there, and you're my spy. You're not going there to fight, but you're going to keep me from fighting, and, and you're going to do your best to... Anything that Ahithophel says, you're going to do your best to turn it away and make it sound stupid. And, and so he sends Hushai back to Jerusalem, and we see Absalom coming into Jerusalem to be in power. So this is the end of where we're at. Absalom's rebellion is an apparent victory. He has taken the city of Jerusalem. He is in the palace. He is in control. He has David's two chief counselors. Don't know, I don't remember what happened to Joab during this time. Yeah. Uh, but he has the leaders. And he has the city. And the people in the mob are on his side, believing in him. So just be careful. Never get, follow the mob. Follow God's word. Because <laughs> the mob is usually wrong. And that's usually my attitude. If the, if the majority of the people are saying do something, I take it with great skepticism. And go to God and say, God, what is it you want? Because the mob is usually wrong. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity. Lord, help us to always look for your word for advice, not for following the mob and the attitude. Absalom followed the mob. He got the mob on his side, and David trusted in you. And we just thank you for that. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.